On the first day, you hear him. On the second day, you see him. On the third day, he finds you. This is the Empty Man on Flicking and Screaming. Welcome everyone to Flicking and Screaming. My name is JT Chipman, joined once more by my esteemed co-host Evan Fagundis. Evan, how are you doing? Hello, hello. I am doing well. I, I couldn't be more excited. We're doing another round of horror. Baseball started. I feel like life is uh, life is good right now. How are you doing? I'm doing great. My week's off to a fantastic start. My Royals are 3-1. and one. We're, we're getting road division wins. You know, the sun has been shining on my neck of the woods. I think we hit 80 today. Uh, my second vaccine shot is, is, is upcoming. Like life is really starting to, to look good here. You know, there's nothing much to complain about. And I'm back here. Jed Sprague is of course still on his paternity leave doing well. Everything is set there with family. And that means Evan, that you and I get to go back to our playground of horror films. And we have got something special this week. We are doing a single movie episode, giving our full attention to a movie called The Empty Man. Now, this film came across my Twitter timeline about a month ago. I started hearing some whispers. There's a couple of critics that I follow and and really, you know, really trust their their minds, and they started to talk about it, and they were mentioning it. They were throwing out gifs with (laughs) The Empty Man in it. (laughs) So I did a little research. I watched a trailer. Trailer didn't do much to convince me. I don't know if you happen to see the trailer for this. Really doesn't tell you anything you actually need to know about the movie. Really doesn't sell it well at all. I decided to give it a chance anyway, and Evan, I'm so glad I did, because I was blown away by this film, by this experience, and I started to think about the experience, actually, on my first watch. I was watching it in my bedroom, you know, I had my lights off uh, late into the evening, and I was starting to contemplate the importance of a theater experience for the horror film. We are proponents of theaters on this podcast i know that we are all excited to be back in theaters safely and we think that that's how Mm -hmm. movies should be seen that's how movies are made to be experienced and we should see every kind of movie on a big screen the empty man was was dumped in theaters this november you know the people who did go to the theater in in november not many of them went to see the empty man it just did not do well (laughs) the studio didn't want to push it test screenings were poor they just like got rid of it no marketing nothing it, maybe that's a result of covid times maybe not maybe the fact that you're going to a theater and there's like 12 other people with you in it you're not going to like get that full horror experience do you think that a theater experience is specifically important for horror in ways that maybe other films don't quite get that's interesting because i i was thinking about this a lot and i think the theater experience can absolutely elevate a horror movie um, more than almost any other type of movie in that a horror movie could just frankly be not be that great and you could have a great time seeing it in the theater and especially in like a, a packed theater. Um, but it's one of the few types of movies that I think can really replicate the feeling that you get uh, outside of a theater as well. Like that that kind of sense of dread impending doom, I can absolutely get from um you know a horror movie at home whereas sometimes i can't get as much from like an action movie like that heart pounding uh pulsing feel that you get in a movie theater when you see like a fast and furious movie on the big screen or something kind of along those lines so it's a genre that definitely benefits from the movie theater experience but 
I, I I get absolutely horrified watching it at home, which is like the main thing that I'm going for when I'm watching. So I can honestly do kind of a little bit of both. That's okay. Sometimes we can fall right in the middle. I, I personally find that a horror experience in a theater is unlike anything else. I think that the way that it can bring people together, like there's something really special about a collective gasp or shockwave that goes through a, a crowd of people as they're experiencing something scary. You can almost like feel your heart rate rising with everyone else's. I think something mm-hmm. kind of similar can happen with action movies or honestly, I think the other thing we see is MCU movies, you know, when people are clapping at the screen and that's, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I cheered a couple of <laughs> times during Endgame. I'm not above saying it. Listen, that was a nostalgia <laughs> thing. Whatever. That's something new, right? The MCU has not been around forever. That theater experience, the the celebration atmosphere, that's new to a theater. Horror has been making audience groups achieve connected terror for, for years, since movies were in black and white. And when you combine the level of craftsmanship in a movie like The Empty Man with the fucking electric scares, like I really mm-hmm. like to think that the word of mouth could have given this film a better run in theaters and given it the boost it deserves. That's neither here nor there. When we get into the categories that we uh, uh, dive into with a single movie podcast, spoilers are going to arrive. So we're going to try to have a conversation just quickly about the film without getting into those spoilers. The Empty Man is a 2020 horror film directed by David Pryor. This is his full-length feature film debut. He is best known for making documentaries focused on kind of the art and craft of filmmaking, looking at how directors operate, how a movie is, is made. And most importantly, uh, he has made several docs on David Fincher, Mm -hmm. an individual that we are fans of here and a really unique figure in movie making. He is, uh, David Pryor is clearly a student of of Fincher's, as we'll see Mm -hmm. in the story. But this film, without giving anything away, it is parts horror, parts occult, parts mystery, private detective. But overwhelmingly, this is a scary ass movie. Evan, I think people should know as little as possible before seeing this film, but what are a couple of things people should maybe know about it? A couple of things that you observe that might help sell them on The Empty Man. Yeah, so a few things without spoiling anything here in this portion that I think could really draw you in and that you don't get from that trailer. Um, And I agree, that trailer is just... It's clear that they weren't doing a great job marketing this movie or or didn't care that much, uh, either either one there. Um, But a few things that I noticed, one, very Fincher-esque, absolutely, like you were saying. I'm not going to say it's as good necessarily as like a Fincher movie, but lots of the similar palette choices, uh, even some of the specific shot choices feel very Fincher-like, and it's very specific in that way. So you know there's a there's a real you know attention to detail in this movie beyond uh, the normal like slasher or ghost story. Um, the other thing is the mixing and matching of all different kinds of like source text. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last week we talked about three classic horror movies, right? And so many horror movies have been based on the vibe and the look of Halloween or Nightmare on Elm Street. And this movie is taking uh, a ghost story, a detective story, at times like a character study, mm-hmm. um, kind of like mixing and matching all these stories like you were talking about into this very fascinating vehicle. Um, and that's not to say it's like perfect by any means, but it's really cool how you can see them dipping and diving through a few different like subgenres rather than just making like a straight down the line, you know, um, paint by numbers version of 
a uh, a studio horror movie. So it's just there's a lot of there's a lot of fun stuff I think that that's just different in this movie. I agree. It is very different. Um, I think that it's it's it is a lot of the same but different. There are classic formulas at play. A lot of horror movies have rules. You know, The Empty Man is no exception. I the, the three rules, the three days that The Empty Man follows that I outlined in our little uh, cold open, like. The three-day rule is enforced, but there is enough twists and unanswered questions and deeper themes at play that you never feel boxed in. It, mm-hmm. Like the the three days like guide the pacing of the film, but they don't intentionally like force or twist the narrative to lose any of its uh, auth- authenticity and, and just full-on thrust towards you. Um, yeah. This film is available right now to rent on Amazon. We are in a new world of VOD and streaming, for better or for worse. You can get this film right now on Amazon to rent for cheaper than you could get it at a theater. Um, I don't know what that means, but it's the best horror movie I've seen in a little while. So you could pay $6 for this, or you could pay $30 for Black Widow on top of the service you already <laughs> have. Um, that's going to be that's gonna be your choice. It's time to get into our specific categories. We've got a lot to unpack, and we do want to give an official spoiler warning. See this movie, come back and listen to us talk about it, or just listen to us talk without seeing the movie. Maybe you're, maybe you're like Jed, and you're going to listen to this, having definitely not watched the film, you know, just to, <laughs> just to join us for a conversation, and we welcome everyone. It could make it less scary when you see it. It could. It could, depending on your particular like sensibilities and the, the things that actually scare you. So Yeah, very true. We have a few categories we want to get into. We have our favorite scenes, our favorite performances, favorite shots. In the past, for these single movie podcasts, we would do favorite quotes. This isn't really a quote movie. I think there's a couple of interesting lines, but, you know, <laughs> that's not... We're not here for, like, you know, grand dialogue and, like, zippy one-liners. No. So we're going to sw- swap out no. our quote category for our favorite scary moment or our favorite scare, whether that's a jump scare or something a little bit more subtle. I throw that up in the air and just see see what happens. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we can do what we want. Uh, and then at the end, we'll give our final grades and talk more about the film at large. I want to go ahead and kick us off with uh, scenes and talk mm-hmm. about our favorite scenes of the movie. We'll do a couple of nominations. Um can I count the first 20 minutes as my favorite scene in the movie? <laughs> so I knew this was going to be a conversation that we had. And yeah, I, I mean, I think I think that's fair. I think it's fair to say that that opening, that like what the epilogue, it could just be a scene. Yeah. This film has a 20 minute prologue that really could just be its a own prologue, my short prologue. film. Did you say epilogue? Yeah, I did. <laughs> hey, hey, listen. If we live in if we live in a twilight world, then everything's a temporal pincer and an epilogue. Fair, is a fair. Yeah, we're moving backwards. It is an extended prologue. It's one of like the best short films you could ever watch. Like if you were, mm-hmm. if they, I almost wish that like he would submit this short, these twenty minutes to like Sundance in the short film category or something. So I think it could just blow people away. And, yeah, like, that's that's the best argument for this film is just that short film ahead of it. Um, but it takes that three day empty man haunting experience in its most condensed version. We get these four characters that actually flesh out quite a bit of personality and raw emotion in a pretty short amount of time. And it's got this dense atmosphere with these heavy visuals, these crazy lighting contrasts and just evil shit really to introduce the concept and, you know, quote unquote character of mm-hmm. the empty man. Um you know, in a, in a different environment. I think this is taking place in uh, Nepal or, or something, you know, in that in that mountain range or something like that. And, yeah. you know, it 
things are going to progress back to where was it? Bhutan, right? Or Bhutan? Bhutan, yes, that is one hundred percent correct. Yeah, and I think the film, uh, you know, in a little bit of research I've done and the tweets I've seen, it's drawn some comparisons to Japanese horror. There is a mm-hmm. film I saw recently called Kwaidon, which is actually four short horror films in an anthology uh, directed by Masaki Kobayashi, and it's like a dead ringer for this kind of horror in this mm. 1950s Japanese film. So that's yeah. another one of those like pretty obvious influences, but mm-hmm. it's so well-crafted. You know, it's a, it's a perfect homage and genuinely scary, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I almost, I, I want to do the, the prologue and the epilogue, you know, it's not really an epilogue in this film, but the final scene, like this movie does one of my favorite things where the first scene and the last scene are my two favorite things in the entire movie. Oh, okay. Um, That's a really cool thing to do. And I, I don't know. I feel like that's intentional. I think that honestly, the first and the last scenes are kind of some of the most different, uh, in terms of Mm -hmm. how the, the, the tone and the vision, not the visuals, but kind of the style of filmmaking that comes across, in the final scene, we have our leading man, James. He has been on the hunt this entire movie looking for a missing girl. His uh, his neighbor's daughter has gone missing and seems to be mixed up in something kind of shady. And it's the cult stuff. And, you know, he's on he's on day three of The Empty Man, right? Mm-hmm. Day three, he finds you. And James is, in this scene, it seems like he is coming close to The Empty Man, coming close to this vessel of evil and finding Amanda. Amanda is the daughter who's gone missing, and she reveals some truths about James to James, and the film becomes so tragic. And mm-hmm. the final scene, it's it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of violins and orchestra, and James has we've had glimpses into how much pain and sorrow that he is carrying, and the film is trying to communicate. The empty man and his followers have this belief in transmitting and receiving. There's something connecting us all that's unseen. And the emotional anvil that just comes out of nowhere with James's character, uh, it kind of makes me tear up. And there's no reason for it to be, like, for this scene to even exist. Like, if we don't get that super tender five-minute scene at the end exploring James's past and his, and his family and what's led him to these, uh, to these moments, the movie is still fine. Like, it's still a pretty mm-hmm. effective horror movie. But it gives us something so weirdly, authentically human and tragic and in the end, like, it, it's crazy because these flashbacks that we're seeing, they aren't even real. They are implanted memories into James, who is, <laughs> I mean, I'm just, like, explaining the movie at this point. Yeah, we're going in. <laughs> I, almost, I almost need to bail, but these <laughs> these flashbacks that are, are, you know, something inauthentic, but they uh-huh. still feel so painful and so real. Um, right. And my heart is still torn apart for him for this character who was born three days ago, essentially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and do you understand what I mean if you've seen the movie? So I, I have the first and the last scene as my favorite scenes of the movie. Uh, what about you, Evan? Those are great choices. And um, I, uh, especially that first one, you know, I absolutely had that on my short list. Um, but I got, I got two here that I had a lot of fun with. Um, and one very much kind of bucks the, the the normal horror movie type scene. And the other is one that you see in every one of these uh, types of horror movies, except it's done really well. And I'll start with that one. It's a sequence uh, with the teens on the bridge. And this is yeah. really when we're introduced to the uh, empty man story. And obviously in that, um, uh, you know, that opening scene, we kind of are 
within the story, but the story's not being explained to us um, right. in, in a way. But this is really the this is the exposition. This is the part of the movie that usually goes awry in mm-hmm. cookie cutter horror movies. Um, and it's set side by side with one of the girls explaining as uh, they're kind of watching through this lens of, of, of a flashback or we're watching. And it's these teens on a bridge and blah, blah, blah. They blow into the bottle. The empty man comes. It's kind of one of your very similar, you know, like Bloody Mary type ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the eeriness that, that comes with that scene, uh, the fact that you kind of never get a full scope of exactly wh- how many people are there, where exactly they are on the bridge. There's a lot of cutting to different people. And in almost every shot, there's never more than like one or two people in the shot. So even though they're all together, it makes them feel very distant from each other. Um, there's a lot of teenage talk of, you know, not knowing what life is. There's, I mean, they mentioned suicide multiple times, which becomes kind of a running theme in this movie. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just a, a really cool, creepy scene that provides all this exposition into uh you know the story's origins but does so in a very very interesting way so i got that scene and then the other scene i got is when james and this is when he's going full detective goes out into the woods to basically try to you know figure out this cult goes to one of their like I guess campsites. I don't know what exactly he thinks it is when he's heading out there. Um, but he goes out. It's very finchery in that, you know, he's doing detective work. He's going around. He's looking for looking into cabinets uh, in these cabins, different things like that, finding these folders on um, himself and, and, and the kids who have gone missing and ended up dead. And then comes across this empty man cult uh, or pontifex uh, is the name of this like organization mm-hmm. gathered around this fire uh, doing some sort of like spiritual awakening i don't know exactly what it is but he's watching from afar and then the fire goes out and he looks up and they have all noticed that he's there and then it becomes like a zombie movie i mean they're like chasing after him in like a deranged crazy you know like you were talking about a couple couple references i could not stop thinking of train to busan during this during this scene um with just like these rabid people chasing him through the forest and it, it went very quickly from like detective sleuth type type scene into just like uh, heart pounding action horror like thrill ride so i i love that sequence did you think of Midsommar when you saw that sequence? A hundred percent thought of it. I thought of Midsommar a lot throughout this movie, but yes, absolutely. In that sequence, uh, I, I thought of Midsommar, especially in the, uh, what is it? Almost like choreographed nature of the people in the cult, right? Like there's something freaky about that many people being synced up together. Um, the way that they all were and reacting and, you know, taking a step when he takes a step and stuff. But yeah, definitely thought of it. I will say just to be that guy, my understanding is this was filmed in 2017. So, you know, obviously he couldn't have ripped off Ari Aster because the film had not come out yet. Midsommar, of course, has a million uh, references and things that it lends from. But, you know, no one no one ripped off anyone in the situation. It's just like the first and most recent thing that, that comes to mind. Um that is such, man, I want to talk about that scene more a little bit later, but yeah, <laughs> I would, I mean, if we have to pick one here, which we do, this is, this is our podcast yeah. and the rules we've established, I would pick either the prologue or the scene in the woods where, uh, you know, it goes from detective to horror. And we didn't even talk about the, the VCR tape that he finds in the cabin 
before they go into before he he finds the colt around Shoot, the fire. I forgot about that. Yeah, because yeah, they he finds that VHS tape and they're they're manifesting a tulpa and you see the tulpa come out and just on you know this black and white like almost negative film VHS tape and it's fucking it's unreal some some weird ass shit. Um, so yeah, I'm good with that scene or the prologue. I don't know where you're gonna land here, man. Those are definitely my top two. Those are my top two going into this. God, they're both they're both so different than things that you normally see, like in a studio horror. I'll say I that that opening scene. You think the opening scene? I so think so. The the reason I was gonna go there was because it's just so well made and so well shot that it's just like you're just on the ride. From that moment on, the movie could have done almost anything, and like I was in. Um, even just the set design with the bridge that they cross with all the bells, the um, the the you know the skeletal figure that he finds inside the crevice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just everything about it is so well made. I, I'd go with that. Yeah the 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 sound design, the shots, man. Yeah, it's it almost is unfair that like really nothing else in the rest of the movie can live up to that. And, you know, it, I don't know, like it's tough true. because like David Pryor's put and that burden so on himself. Say again. Yeah, I was just saying it's so contained too. Mm-hmm. you know, like sometimes in a movie and this movie does do it a little bit. I mean, it's it's over two hours long and, and that's not incredibly common for, you know, horror films like this. It's sometimes hard to contain all these different ideas, but that it was such like a succinct you know, perfect 22 minutes that he put together. Exactly. It's time now to move on to our favorite performance of yes. the film. Evan, would you like to kick us off in this category? Yeah. 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 Um, and I'm going to do, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave one for you. Cause there's two people I really wanted to talk about. Um, the first is Steven Root who plays the uh, leader yeah. of, of this Pontifex, this cult. Um, <laughs> And he basically only shows up for like four total minutes of screen time, but it's part of it. That's probably my favorite scene that we didn't talk about um, all the way leading in from, you know, James getting there and just how weird it is with that receptionist and like the form Mm -hmm. and everything Mm -hmm. leading into him going in and watching Steven Root's um, presentation and then Stephen Root kind of having a conversation with him about about the empty man and the Noah spheres is what they call it the kind of existence of everyone's ideas and thoughts kind of all being in a combined almost like physical space is the way they sort of describe it um right but he just same same with get out he just has such a perfect vibe for horror Stephen Root is just like he has that air of intrigue and unknowing that goes really well with acting in these, but he's also just kind of a ham and is just really entertaining (laughs) to watch. You know, it's like a perfect mix of like, Ooh, he's the leader of this cult. Like I'm interested in what he has to say, but also like he's the leader of this cult. Like it's kind of goofy a little bit, you know, some of the things that he's saying are a little bit off the wall and it's like the twinkle in his eye almost kind of give you the indication that he knows that too. Um, so I think he's just perfect. And then Sasha, uh, Frolova, I'm sorry if I said her name wrong, who plays Amanda Quayle, um, who's the, the kind of girl, the original disappearee that kicks off the action mm-hmm. of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. she is, is a really, you know, by the line horror, uh, type character that you need kind of that vessel that, um, 
unknown and mysterious person that that kind of leads us into the intrigue of the movie. Um, right. But I think what she did at the beginning with how kind of fleeting and confusing she was uh, in her interactions and how low key she was, it really made for a great payoff. And I think a great um, acting performance in that final scene that you were talking about before when she's revealing the truth to James. I really felt that like the dichotomy of the two um, scenes that were kind of her two only real scenes of the movie um, Mm -hmm. really like exemplified the weight of the movie the the beginning and the end and and i think without her performance being so strong at the end it wouldn't have led to the um the you know emotional feelings that you get there at the end of the movie and kind of the feelings that you have with and for james so i i thought she was just really really great and and hard to hard to get a read on honestly which sometimes makes for some of the best acting you never really know what she's gonna say next Mm mm-hmm um, and that keeps you on your toes. That's uh, that unexpected, you know, really, really complex character. Tough to pull off for someone who is, you know, like probably 16 or 17 uh, yeah. in the film. And I think that when she goes toe to toe with James, uh, both the beginning and the end, I mean, she seems like she's emotionally equal to him. She almost mm-hmm. seems like like physically his his peer, almost like the way that yes. they shoot it and the way that her, her presence is. I mean, it. it feels like she's right there with him and you know kind of overpowering him at some she point. feels like very much in control in something yeah. yeah yes there is an element of control that she has that mm-hmm. we, we really see at the end especially um, yeah and i mean in reality she was one of the people who manifested james who brought right. james who is a tulpa you know thought and 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 manifestation whatever you know that wikipedia page equation says about like right. concentration and thought equals tulpa yeah she was, she's his creator, you know, yeah, it's right. almost in a way it's like, you know, God speaking to a, a human in, mm-hmm. a, in a weird, like twisted kind of way. It is. And not necessarily having a wink in her eye, but a knowing, a, a knowledge of who she is in relation to him that right. makes, makes on rewatch, makes those conversations really, really fascinating. Yeah. So I agree. I think she's uh, maybe the, maybe even the most well-written character too. of the mm-hmm. I think you were probably going to leave uh, James Badgedale as James LaSombra for me. Thank you very much. He has a really tough job in mm-hmm. this movie. Um, and again, after you watch it, you realize how much tougher he is because he is playing this this man who is a manifestation. He is not a real person. He is full of memories and full of pain and sorrow, but that is all manufactured. All of this trauma and really extreme trauma. And, you know, it seems like, he, I mean, he's dealing with, with mental and psychological issues. He's taking mm-hmm. medicine every morning. Um, and he has to reckon with his own reality at the end. And that's not easy at all. Right. And he pulls it off so fucking well. Um, we talk, we're talking about David Fincher a lot in this podcast. They are peers. He, him and Pryor are peers. And I was reminded a lot of the game uh-huh. when I was watching this. Yeah. Michael Douglas's leading man character in that film is very similar to James LaSombra. Yep. Not only in like the circumstances where he's trapped in something that he doesn't even realize is 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 uh, fake and you know um, something that's being created around him, but James is just so lonely and really right. lost and like unwilling to reconcile his past. Um, just like Michael Douglas is in that movie. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit more like Michael Douglas still has family in the picture that he like actually does come face to face with and, and heal at the end. Uh, 
in the end, I don't think James Lasama really heals. He comes to terms with who he is. I mean, in fact, he is the title character. He's the empty man in the sense that he is fake. He is um, um, hollow on the inside, a creation of, of, of nothing true. And he becomes that true vessel. And then he becomes, if that's how you interpret the ending, which I think is how I do, he becomes that true vessel. He becomes what is transmitting, what is receiving this uh, otherworldly uh, connector mm-hmm. uh, that is guiding the Pontifex Society and guiding right. the cult and guiding guiding the world, really. Um, that's a lot of words on him. I do want to give a shout out as well. There's a, there's a couple really quick. Uh, Robert Aramio, I think, he plays young Ned Stark in Game of Thrones. Do you remember that? Yes. Yes. Uh, oh, of so, course. Yeah. He's the one yeah. who plays the uh, Garrett or something, right? Yeah. Like the guy yeah. who he ne- beats Neil up. Cassidy, the yeah. 60s movie character, you know? It's like yeah. kind of an off-putting character, but it kind of adds to like just how fucked up the entire situation is in uh-huh. my mind. You know, he's got kind of an exposition dump, but he sounds like he's high while he's doing it. So mm-hmm. it just it just makes it really under your skin. But yeah, that's young Ned Stark from all those, those wow, flashbacks. Wow, of course. Yeah. I didn't put that together till I googled him. I he looks familiar, but without the you know the blonde, right? Uh, Sean Bean wig, um, and then also Roy Canada as Detective Villiers is fucking awesome. Yes, he is you great. Know, he's like he's got to send home some really hard hitting soliloquies about like how contagious evil is in the world. And, he does. Like, he basically has to talk about what the empty man followers believe without saying what they believe. He's like, oh, mm-hmm. this feels like it's like. This feels like it's all connected, and it feels like evil is contagious and all yeah. that. But it's his voice. Like it sounds like he just ate five cheeseburgers and smoked fifteen cigarettes. Yeah, he, he like, does. That's why I believe. Yeah, that's why I believe every word he says because he's got that voice. He got that gravel in there. Um, and he uh, he has to deliver some of the the. I mean, to be frank, he has to deliver some of the dumbest lines of the whole movie. Sure. Like some of the most like inexplicable like. He basically at one point after all these kids are found dead and then there's another murder a town over. He basically says, yeah, yeah. because there's, you know, the same um, quotes in blood are being written at each of these scenes. That that means we can't solve this and we just have to kind of let it go sort of thing. Like it, some of the things that he's saying, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> but but he yeah. does it in a way that it, it carries a lot of weight. <laughs> I think he says, like, you can't like put the cosmos in jail or arrest the cosmos yeah. and it's like yes. all right yeah. but because he's got that fucking voice yeah you know and it it's so deep and it, it sounds wise you know he's right. got a uh a, a heavy weary uh tone in his voice like oh you actually believe this like okay i think you're you sound a little bit silly but okay i'll go with it um i do think though this is probably James Badgedale's uh, James yeah. Sombra is going to take the cake here. Really, really special leading man. Um, I yep. mean, he has to guide. I mean, he's not. He's of course not in the prologue, but he has to guide every single scene and carry some uh, some intense shit. And I think he does it mm-hmm. very, very well. Yeah, he's the main character in. I mean, I think it's notable that we've talked about how there's like three or four different movies wrapped up in this one story. And he's at the center of all of it. So, I, you know, I think it's at, at times he has to be very much in control and in charge, leading like an investigation, his own personal investigation. And at times he has to be basically the um, the subject of an investigation, if for lack of a better term, and kind of be the one who is is having things revealed about himself. So, uh, I, 
it wasn't an easy job and he did a great job. I was thinking a lot of Fincher while I was watching his, uh, it reminded me very much of some Fincher, uh, leading parts for sure. No doubt. A lot of, uh, interesting masculine ideas going on there, but yeah, like you yeah. said, control versus being controlled get you a man who can do both. And that's what he did. Yeah. hundred percent. I'm happy to give that to him. Let's move on to our favorite. Let's, let's do our favorite scary moment of the movie. Ooh, okay. I want to talk about just like scares because yeah. there's a couple. Yeah. Um, I think that, so the two that I'm going to choose are like kind of go hand in hand and okay. they speak to how consistent the movie is, even in different tones and scenarios. And it's the scary moment in the blizzard in the prologue yes, and the kill in the sauna towards yes. the uh, kind of the middle of the movie. Woo! So yeah. in that, in the blizzard, right? That's the first time we see the empty man. And uh, I mean, he looks fucking awesome in this movie too. It's a very yeah. uh, physical, uh, like handmade, it, it basically like they probably just put some trash cans on a guy and some duct tape and just like let it flail in the wind. Right. Um, obviously they did more than that, but it's still very authentic. And it's yeah. just, um, you know, we, we talked about how we, we really appreciate these real villains as opposed to something mm-hmm. like CGI. And, you know, she, so I don't even remember her name, but she's the girlfriend Ruthie. of the man who, of Paul, who's in the coma. And she walks out into the blizzard cause she thinks she sees somebody and it's blindingly white. You know, the wind is whipping snow's coming down and she can just see him in the distance. And, the music starts to come down a little bit and he starts to move forward and she starts moving forward towards him because she's just trying to get a better look. She's she's you know squinting through it and you know sees that this shrouded figure with you know stuff whipping in the wind as well is starting to move towards her faster and then starts sprinting towards her and she you yeah. know, turns around and runs inside and there's some really good zooms so many good close-ups in this movie. Great. Yeah. So many good close-ups where she slams the lock shut. And then she's holding a knife with her back to the to the wall, and the camera zooms in on her just horrified face. But it's a really like really st- it's almost, it may even be like a push as opposed to a zoom. Like may, uh-huh. it may even be like the camera, you know, physically moving towards her. And of course, it's her friends who are trying to come in the door, and that leads to the whole confusion: who is the empty man? What is the empty man? Where are the scares coming from? But then later in the movie, and we see uh, is it Danae? Is that Amanda's friend? Uh, close to D- her name. Davara. Da- Davra? D- Davara. Davra? Davara? Yeah. She is, she is on, uh, she's on day three, right? Yeah. Of the empty man. And she has, she's heard the empty man on the bridge. She has seen him in the car with James and day three, he's going to find her. And it's the same blinding white, like oversaturated. Uh, it's, it's so hard to see when she's this in, one that, was in like a steam room. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fucking scary, but it's like, instead of like a lot of horror movies, they're in the dark and they're like, you're squinting because you're trying to see like a shadow move when you're in that blinding white light, like you're still squinting, but it's, it's, it's just enough different that it doesn't, it doesn't feel played out, you know, Mm -hmm. like you're leaning forward in your seat, trying to figure out what's in the shadow and the empty man just bursts through and (laughs) takes scissors to her face and just just wrecks her and it turns to a shot of her stabbing herself with the scissors but of course where did the scissors come from it's one of those things where like it's following the rules of the empty man but there's still enough ambiguity they're like you're like what the fuck's going on what does this really mean what's actually happening and i think that's what makes it really special and uh you know it's that consistently scary atmosphere that this film holds that i think is special so those are like my two favorite scary moments and uh just 
please God, let me sleep tonight moments. <laughs> oh man. Absolutely. And this movie is really, um, without even being too big on like jump scares, it definitely has multiple scenes, visuals, and just like overall vibes that really do make it, make it hard to go to sleep. I watched this movie late at night and I was having trouble. Um, yeah. That one in the steam room is insane. I, I think you almost like you did a good job of describing it, but almost undersold. Like there is about, I'd say over 20 seconds where the screen is completely is a complete whiteout. Like you don't see yeah. anything. So you have no idea when it's going to come. Um, and that was I mean, I was having a really hard time keeping my eyes open and watching because I just knew at some point something was going to penetrate that white sheet um on screen but wow those are those are great ones um so the first one that i'll go with uh is the night that and you don't actually see almost anything but the night that james hears the empty man so like you've been talking about it's the second night um and he wakes up in bed and this is a really cool thing and something that you know prior does in this movie that i think is uh the signs of a more seasoned filmmaker is that he returns to these visuals returns to almost uh, similar scenes to set up a scare and so there are a couple times when we see james wake up in the middle of the night prior to this scene so we're used to seeing that happen but this time he might hear a noise and we know it's day two so he's supposed to hear the uh the empty man this night so i'm almost kind of off guard because i'm like okay well he's hearing the footsteps but other people have heard that throughout this movie when they hear the empty man and so i'm like okay i don't think anyone's in this guy's house and he looks down his hallway and we've seen multiple shots down this hallway. So you have a really good idea of what this hallway looks like. And for some reason, it just looks off. And I can't even explain now why it looked different, but it just did. And so he's kind of hearing these footsteps. And then all of a sudden, you don't see anything visually, but there's just the sound of somebody just sprinting down his hallway towards his bedroom door. And he slams the door shut. And then that leads to him waiting in there with a baseball bat. You know, he looks under the door and he sees he sees, you know, like a figure moving back and forth or the shadow of a figure moving back and forth, which is like at that point, it's slowed down. But for some reason, those footsteps and like how off guard I was because I knew he'd hear him, but I was like, Oh, he's not actually going to come for him. He's waiting for tomorrow. It just like really freaked me out with just having like this, this unseen force just like descending on James, which is kind of like what, what the empty man does in a sense. It's kind of this unseen, um, unknown force that just kind of consumes you ultimately. And, and, you know, leaves you deceased as, as far as most of the people in the movie. But um, that was, that was what I'm trying to think of what other, you know, the other thing that I'll mention just cause I want to mention it. Um, the scene in the forest, definitely when he's running away is scary just because the thought of, you know, a horde of people coming at you like that is horrifying, but uh, a visual, um, scare was, um, um, Early in the movie, when the guy falls down into the crevice uh, and his friend has to go down to get him. It's not a jump scare by any means, but the way he's sitting there staring at that hollowed out skeletal figure that's sitting in like, I, I don't even know. Do you can you describe it all like what this it definitely was not a normal human skeleton. It was like it had like these huge bones coming out of its back almost or something like it was it was kind of insane. Yeah, and we see that design a couple more times. We do, in the movie. yeah. We see the uh, 
we see one of the tulpas painted we see with you know in the in the forest scene when he's watching the tape on the vhs and we see the tulpa and he's painting that design of the skeleton on the wall with his entrails and with his own blood yeah which is uh one of the more disgusting things i've seen and we yes. see in the end uh with the gunshot through paul's head yeah and it's the blood splatters on the wall but I don't know exactly what all the design is supposed to be, but like the way that he's bringing his fingers together is like he's holding a bottle, and it's like uh, he's holding of either the bottle or like there's the little, uh, little, uh, like little like bone flute, tool. yeah, little flute, yeah, that uh, kind of precedes the bottle when they're when they're exploring in the cave. So I think that's what that's that's what stands out to me at least is seeing just those fingers come together, and it's also like definitely more than ten fingers. It's like twenty different fingers, and they're huge in that skeleton. Yeah, and it's just it's very, very off-putting. But yeah, that entire scene in the cave, um, the way that Paul is whispering, it's very yes. guttural and very clickety clack. Yeah, um, there's a lot of saliva, and we hear that you know several times throughout the movie yes. as people encounter the empty man. But I didn't even catch it the first time because I didn't have my sound up all the way. But he's whispering to his friend, if you touch me, you die. You die, yeah. Just over and over again. And it's, he finally touches him and then just the, there's like the way that Paul like sighs, like I don't know if it's a sigh of relief or a sigh of pain and you don't know how yeah. much of him is there versus how much right. he's been, you know, taken over already by the empty man. I, I really don't know and don't really care to know. I just know that it's right. scary. Yeah, that scene in the cave is some some scary ass shit. You know, that makes know. me think of too... When another thing that just freaks me out, because I hate the idea of somebody seeing me when I sleep, like that's one of the worst parts of like paranormal activity to me is, is like when they go through, you know, six hours of two people asleep at night, but one has gotten up and is just standing over the other, like staring at them, you know, for like four hours. Um, when they're in that cabin in that opening scene and Ruthie is laying there asleep and Paul is like floating over her, like whispering into her ear. Woo. That yeah. cut, that cut scene was pretty gnarly that's like exorcist shit honestly it is yeah terrifying that's that that was one of my nominations for favorite shot actually so i'm glad you mentioned it um as far as favorite scare i do do you want to do the sauna do you want to do the steam room i'm going sauna i mean that was the scariest to me because that that is also like one of the most practical scares as in like that could kind of happen to you know it's already like a claustrophobic feel already um, or mm-hmm. anyways, but um, it was a very physical scare, uh, more than like kind of the the ghostly type scares that come in other parts of the movie. Very physical, very brutal. Um, yeah, and and again, just speaks to that consistency that he's coming back to a a same type of shot in the blizzard yeah. with that complete whiteout on the screen. So yeah, steam rooms our favorite scare. Uh, I think it's time for favorite shot. This is yeah, our shot. this is our last uh, traditional category here. I'll throw out a couple. There's um, there's a shot of James when he's driving towards the film's end. And it's inside the car, you know, basically like the camera's in the passenger seat looking at James and looking past him. And his reality is like starting to melt and he's losing control over his personhood. And it makes it, it, it at one point it looks like he is driving through the hospital. And actually, like, the exterior of the window instead of the road, it becomes the hospital, and he's, like, driving through it. And something about that it was just so unsettling and is, like, stuck in my mind of him operating this car nice. in the hospital, yeah. going past, going past like, a surgery room or whatever. Yeah. 
It was just really, really unsettling. Um, the shot of Paul uh, hovering over his girlfriend, whispering the empty man, little little cadence, little rhyme. Um, and then I love, too, the there's a recurring shot of an empty chair with a light bulb yeah. hanging over it. And we see that in James's kind of dreams towards the beginning. At the end, we realize, like, that's basically where he was born, right? That's mm-hmm. where he was, uh, he was manifested and, and birthed into the world. Uh, by the Pontifex Society. And, you know, later on we even see pictures of him naked in that chair, you know, as he's been birthed, um, which is just weird. It just makes you, like, think so much more about humanity and, like, having a soul and like, yeah. the creation of that. So those are, those are my favorite shots of the movie. I don't know if you've, you've probably got a couple more nominations here. Those are great. I'm glad you chose, like, a couple that were, like, shots of humans and stuff. Because I I think he shot people very beautifully in this movie. Um, but the two that I had are, are both outdoors. Uh, and just stuff that it seemed like prior when he was making this was just having a great time doing. And, and <laughs> must have really planned out and storyboarded um, these shots. The first is when they first get to the cabin um during that that opening section there's a shot a really far out long long lens shot of the cabin and then they do like three quick zooms in on the cabin until you're almost like right next to it and it's just a crazy like it's another one of those things that it just gave me such a feeling of like claustrophobia like so by the time they went into Mm -hmm. the cabin everything felt so like condensed even though you're in this like massive wide open landscape um right which is like also compounded by you know driving snow and all that but i just thought that shot was like both beautiful and like kind of horrifying in its own way um and then the second one and this one like i was nerding out on i ended up watching like six seven times i i i went back after i watched it i i told myself i shouldn't rewind mid-movie i get myself out of exactly what you're gonna choose to the drone shot coming down when he's when he's when he's driving to the uh the forest i don't know what the hell i have not seen a shot like that in a movie ever from that high up they they must have used a drone it is like i mean it looks like it's 2000 feet in the air i'm sure it was probably just a couple hundred you know zoomed out and then in one take the drone like the camera zooms down towards the road gets down in amongst the trees before it flattens out and follows james on his drive and it's like I don't know if it was really telling me anything. It was also cool because it came straight off a map. It's an overhead view of a map that went straight into like an overhead of the forest itself. Um, and I, you know, I don't think it really told me anything or advanced the story, but I just thought it looked so freaking cool. It's an incredible like dissolve from the yeah, map to the forest. It is. And then it's so steady the way that the camera yes. finally like come, not doesn't really come to a rest, but comes level with the car as it's right. moving. It makes no sense. I have no fucking clue how they did it either. It's like, crazy. I love when a movie shows me something that uh, just leaves me flabbergasted. Yeah. And just, just saying how over and yeah. over again. And I I would love to ask David Pryor just what the fuck, man. How did that happen? I want to ask him that too. I, I'm really – I was blown away. When I first saw it, I was like, God, that – that like has to be CGI. At first it looked like, I was like, they are way too high up there and came down too, too smoothly. That's why I was like, there, there wasn't any bounce at all. Like it was in, you know, like a, a helicopter or something like that. Um, but that was insane. And you know, it really, uh, Oh my goodness. I was, I was like, wow, I want to see some more shots like that. I'm hoping we'll get some more here moving forward. Um, after other people get a look at it. Yeah. People need to pay attention to this and we need some more David Pryor too. Mm-hmm. We need him to, 
get proper treatment from a studio. Absolutely. You know, this is this is gaining an well, I don't know. Maybe maybe we can assist. We can push for uh, you know, more David Pryor. Yeah. Hundred percent. Get a get a social movement going. Um I I would be okay with the shot of Paul hovering over his, over uh, his girlfriend. I'd be okay with the map dissolve shot. I don't know which one you're leaning towards. So you know what I kind of was am, am leaning towards now, especially after you described it. I'm kind of leaning towards the chair. You want to do the chair? I, I think it's great when horror movies have very indelible shots. Like to me, like Get Out, for example, the shot of Daniel Kaluuya sitting there with like the one tear coming down his face as he's being, you know, sent down to the sunken place. Like there's just something about it that every time somebody even says the words Get Out, I, I can picture that in my head. And I'm really thinking the the farther I get away from the movie, that chair seems to be that shot um, just because it kind of encapsulates I mean, it's it's just scary in its own right, but it's also, like, intriguing and very much has that just, I don't know, indelible feel. So I, I wouldn't mind going with that now that you say it. I'm great with that. I mean, it's cool to see. I mean, it's an empty chair in a movie yeah. called The Empty Man. You right. Know, it serves so many purposes. I mean, it's very, uh, you know, it's, it's very centered. Yeah. Um, the lighting is really well done so that uh, the chair is illuminated, but it's, like, grainy enough around the edges that... Right, something could be hanging out there, and it's yeah. just—it's so mysterious, but it makes so much sense. And like, we never see, so like we see different shots of them like trying to summon the empty man or summon, you know, create the tulpa. We never see like Amanda in that room with him as he's being born. We just no. see like we see a pol- like a Polaroid image of him in right. that chair, but like. You never actually see the creation. You just know that it happened. There. Right. Like that's that's the room. That's the yeah. place. And I don't I don't even know like where that place is. Like, is it in the Pontifex Society building? I don't know. Or is there's it in some the moments hospital? where he's like kind of walking? Is it in? I don't know because there's moments where he's like walking through doors, and then one second he's in a hospital, one second he's in that, right? Room, one second he's, it's it's yeah. that twisting of reality, right? Um, kind of like. The Boiler Room and Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, Talks absolutely. Back to our conversation last week. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter where that room is at. Right. Um, that's just where the Tulpa was born. That's where James was was birthed into the world. Yeah, absolutely. And like the whole movie, they they keep talking about like the connection between like thought and flesh, or um, you know, like like the uh, the non physical and the physical. So it seemed like that space was that exact. Like they talk about, you know. There's a lot of references to bridges and things like, like bridging that gap yeah. between flesh and and um, or the physical world and the and the non-physical world. And that place seemed to be like right smack dab in the middle where it's like, yes, he could physically touch the things in that room, but it easily could just be a manifestation of his mind or or of the mind that they're creating. You know, as a, so it, it did have a cool like very in between type feel to it that the whole movie seemed to have going for it. I love it. The empty chair is our favorite shot yes. of the movie. This is fantastic. Um, so we've gone through all of our main categories here. Yeah. We've chosen uh, the shot of the empty chair as our favorite shot. We have chosen for our favorite scary moment. Our favorite scare is the sauna room and the empty man's uh, scissor kill. Yeah. We have chosen uh, for our favorite performance of the film, James Badgedale as James LaSombra in The Leading Man. And then, of course, the... Masterful opening 20-minute uh, 
basically short film prologue yeah. is our favorite uh, scene in the movie. I think it's the longest scene we've chosen for favorite scene so far. And, you know, I we're bending so. the rules a little bit. It's definitely like, it's definitely cheating, but I don't really give a fuck. I don't either. Um, it's time for our overall scores, man. I am just, I am just so happy that, like, this movie exists. Yeah. In this world, in this time, we can come together and watch a movie like this. And, like, I'm not, I, I definitely pushed for it, you know, in our conversations about the movie that we want to do. I was like, this and this is something special, Evan. Yeah. You got, I'm not going to say we have to do it, but we have to do it, right? And, like, there's just so much to talk about. Like, so this is an A for me. Just a okay. straight up A across the board. I mean, I gave it five stars on the box. I have no regrets yeah. about that. It's crazy just how carefully plotted every detail and moment of the characters and visuals in this movie. Like, this movie is 130 minutes. Horror movies aren't supposed to be that long in 2020, yep. but it is. It's relentless. It refuses to, like, let go of its grip around your neck. There's, like, outside of a total, of like, two or three minutes in the entire runtime. Like, it becomes different things. We've got the prologue. We've got the detective story. We've got the psychological horror. But it always feels right. It never mm-hmm. feels like a jarring, like, whiplash change in tone. It's like a natural progression of the story. Um, the music plays a big part of that. You know, bending ever so slightly to match whatever act that we find ourselves in. But always, always just scary as fuck and refusing to blink. The camera work might be the greatest strength of this movie. Yeah. There's so many masterful shots and tricks. There are zooms that, the, the triple zoom that you talked about, just takes, takes my breath away. Like, it is so precise and then it, every now and then it'll switch to handheld. Mm-hmm. And that's so effective. Yeah. Like I love when like technical and routine aspects of filmmaking um, are in, are intentionally planned and lead to something like an organic kind of horror. Like there, there'll be a glare on a windshield and that like adds obscurity to an already obscure conversation. You know? Right. Nothing, nothing is missed. It's so precise and, and dreadfully atmospheric. Like, there's so much going on in The Empty Man. It contains multitudes, but it's got one singular mission. To scare the fuck out of you. Mm -hmm. Like, to scare your eyes and to scare your soul. The fact that it's so unbearably heavy and just full of mourning and sorrow and tragedy on top of everything else. Like, the shit that we have to carry in life, passed on, you know, from the characters, really, to our shoulders. We feel like we're bearing it, too. To me, that it makes it one of the best horror films of the decade, like quite easily. Um, it's also one of the best Missouri films I've seen in a while. I'm a little <laughs> bit biased in this regard. I'm surprised you, you know, hadn't mentioned it yet. <laughs> listen, the, you hear a Cardinals radio broadcast and you see a Royals World Series champions hat beanie in this movie. Yeah. Like between this and like Ozark and Gone Girl, like we've gotten some great content about my state and like how terrible everyone in the state is. And how you should probably stay the fuck away. Like these are like Missouri can't be happy that like Gone Girl and Ozark exist in the way that they do. Honestly, like it's not great for the board of tourism. Like, Hey, we've got uh wife killers, not really wife right. killers, but we've got, you know, domestic issues and drama right. along with, you know, insane drug dealing and murder going on here. So yeah, the show me <laughs> stayed everyone. Uh, this is, the Empty Man is an A. I am going to propagate this movie until the end of time. I can already tell. Like, I am going to be insufferable making every single person I know watch this. And uh, <laughs> just one of the biggest surprises in movies for me in, in so long. Yeah. 
I, you know, I'm so glad you introduced me to this movie. I'd missed it. I had heard about it um, just through certain channels, but that was more in a negative light because we didn't get into it that much. And I don't think we should. Um, It's it's boring and and a little bit of the kind of like, you know, behind or inside baseball minutia that goes on in Hollywood. But it's like this movie had, you know, been I mean, it was finished in like 2017 or something or 2018 and then kept getting pushed back because the studio didn't like it and then it didn't get good test scores, blah, blah, blah. So they didn't end up marketing and it just tossed it out. So that's kind of all I'd heard of it was that this movie had been made, but it had been, you know, tossed around and might come out at some point in 2020. Um but I'm so glad you watched it. I'm so glad you told me to see it. I mean, I would love to watch like two or three of, of these movies a year. I just wish they would do that. And it, I don't think they'd even be nearly as good as this, but movies that tried to do something a little bit different. So as far as score goes, I'm going to give it a really strong B plus um, and just say that I was incredibly impressed by it, especially technically. I mean, the story was was really cool and innovative. Um, and you know, just obscure enough that it, it left me intrigued, but also not so obscure that I needed to go on Reddit, you know, for two hours after I finished it. Like I was very satisfied with where I was, with what I kind of thought had happened, um, and the different theories that, that I sort of had floating around in my head. But, uh, the sound, uh, the music, like you mentioned, absolutely. Um, specifically the camera work was unbelievable. Uh, I, it was really like clearly a guy making his first feature film, throwing everything he'd ever wanted to do into the movie. Um, you know, the, the different feels, the different, even kind of pace of the way, uh, the, the camera was moving was very different. He, he knows how to shoot a horror movie. Sometimes the camera's got to move really fast or zoom in really fast on something like that's how you create, you know, terror and, and, um, kind of like horror within a domestic scene. But, Sometimes the camera can slow down and in lots of detective stories, you know, especially ones from uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, those kind of classic detective movies, the camera is hardly ever moving. It's very lazy in the way it follows people around and kind of lets the characters do a lot of the discovering rather than the viewers, you know, through um, what they're being shown. And the the way he navigated those two things um, was really amazing. And I think really kind of lent itself to, to the story itself. I don't think it would have worked if the entire movie looked the exact same, but was trying to kind of bounce around with these different themes. Um, it, you know, it, it, it might've gotten a, a tad bit long there through the middle. Like there was a, there was a couple of things. They definitely didn't waste any time in the car. Like I give prior credit for that. You know, he's like, Hey, we're going on a car ride. You're going to get a minute and a half of, of scenes of James driving, you know, like I'm not just going to show up at the next place and let you, uh, um, immediately get into the next scene. Like you kind of have to just live, uh, this guy's life with him, which, you know, I, I think pays off in the end. So I'm definitely not going to complain about it at all, but I, I highly recommend this to everyone. This is like, just want to scream it from the rooftops, right? Like, Hey, a movie yeah. like this can exist. And I mean, the fact that this movie was still made on a Hollywood studio budget is interesting to mm-hmm. me. Like he was able to, you know, pitch this film, make this film, secure the funding. And like, granted everything went wrong after that, but he still got a studio to make it. Like a studio right. made this movie, and yeah, maybe just maybe that means that movies like this can be made by these studios, you know? Right. And just maybe, like a really powerful 
auteur director that isn't on like a cool hip label like a 24 um can make something powerful and uh yeah very personal as well like i absolutely i would love to know just like i think we see a lot of what david Pryor thinks about humanity but i want to see that explored in other ways i feel like he just has so much to say about what makes people tick and what makes i mean i think i think he has things to say about mental health mm-hmm. i think he has things to say about um masculine emotion um and i want him to like get those opportunities and i really i really hope he does because uh this is something just entirely different it is so similar but so different at the same time it's a such a like a cliche to say that and it's a paradox that it can be similar but different but it's a blessing this film exists i'm happy it does and i'm happy that we got to share it together it's like god what a miracle movies i am power the magic i know the magic of the magic of the cinema i i think this movie is great i know we were talking about it a little bit before but we got to get jed to watch this movie I think that's going to become like a a running pod goal here until we can get him to uh to buckle in. But I think he's got to see it. Uh, just complete the trifecta here and and give us his feedback. He really does. We'll make him watch it. We were talking about that offline about doing it like a Google Hangouts or on Zoom. Like yes. just because I want to watch him watch it because I know he's a yeah. bit scared. But I think he I think he really could appreciate. He would love the camera shit in this movie. Like. That's he our guy Jed. He he is gonna be yeah. obsessed with like some of the shots, just shots, sure. shots, shots. And it's beautiful. Like it's not. That's what when I was watching this, I was kind of thinking about some of the prestige TV nowadays, and I'm like, because all these TV shows, sort of like you're talking about, and you mentioned some movies and stuff too, but like lots of them are shot in like Missouri or these different places, or like so many are in like England now and stuff in London, and it's like yes, they can be dreary without everything just being gray. Like the whole, the whole shot doesn't have to be gray to get across that like, Hey, this is kind of an, an overcast in life sort of situation that all these people are in. And this movie did a good job of that. Like there were, there were certain things that were thrown in and the trees and different things like that, that were like pops of color and, and gave like a contrast to the, um, the, uh, you know, clouds in the sky and different things like that. So I, it was beautiful for sure. Thank you for your endorsement of my state. I appreciate yes. that. We, uh, we need all the help we can get sometimes. Yes, so, yes. Yeah, to have a California boy on our side is always good. <laughs> Evan, this has been a wonderful conversation about The Empty Man. I am really excited for next week's podcast where we are going to get into some Oscar talk. It is Academy yes. Awards season. Finally, it's the end of April, and we are just mm-hmm. now getting to the Oscars, but... I think we could have a pretty interesting ceremony. We've got Steven Soderbergh behind the scenes putting some stuff together. I think we're finally going to have some in-person safe award ceremony stuff going on. I think they've like effectively banned all Zoom and Skype uh, awards acceptance speeches, which, I mean, nice. if we can be done safely, I thank you. Yes, please. I'm yes. <laughs> so tired. I'm so tired of it all. And I'm yeah. ready to see uh, you know, the chaos that happens when rich people get together and start consuming alcohol and giving each other awards. Uh, So we're going to talk about, we're going to go through some of the categories and talk about the movies that we think will win and the movies that we want to win in a lot of the major categories and uh, you know, have a good time and we'll be watching the Oscars on, on Oscar night along with all of you drinks in hand, uh, celebrating the magic of the movies again. 
This has been the Empty Man Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please feel free to let us know what you think about this movie. I really, really, really want to know if people like this or not. I need it a little bit for my ego, I think, to prove mm-hmm. that I'm right. Um, <laughs> give us a follow on all of the all of the socials, at Flick and Scream on Twitter, at Flicking and Screaming on Instagram. You can find all of our personal socials there. Leave us a like, a comment, a review, a subscription on your favorite podcasting app. It means a lot to us and all of our core listeners. Thank you guys every week for tuning in. It means so much to just have you guys like as a part of our lives, as a part of our movie going experience, because the movies are all about like, we are all transmitting and receiving together, just like the empty man would want us to do. He is, uh, we are in this communal body of movie making and movie watching for flicking and screaming. I'm JT Chipman. That's Evan Fagundis. We'll see you guys next week. See ya.